Thank you so much for joining me here today on the San Juan Unified Student Podcast. I'm your host, Nanak Tagore. Today I was joined by Brian Asher. Brian is a high school teacher at Rio Americano, a world traveler, and really an all-around great person to have on the show. He shared about some of his, his life experiences along with some amazing stories from his journeys along the way. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Brian Asher. Hi, Brian. Thank you so much for joining me here today on the San Juan Unified Student Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here with us today. Uh, would you mind starting off by introducing yourself to our listeners? Sure. Yeah, my name is Brian Asher, and I'm a Spanish teacher at Rio Americano High School, where I graduated from, and this is my sixth year, I believe, teaching at Rio. Amazing. Um, so you, uh, you've traveled a lot, uh, something you're kind of known from uh, by your students. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, I've kind of made my life focus quite a bit around traveling here the last 15 or so years. I never grew up traveling. My family never thought about it, never had passports, never kind of even imagined going anywhere farther than maybe Tijuana or Vancouver. And um, my brother, my younger brother, got me into the idea of trying to do a study abroad, which I didn't do during college. It was a little hard transferring twice, but I've uh, been trying to catch up ever since. So I lived abroad for about six and a half years and taught English after college, and then I've been traveling extensively ever since I've come back to the U.S. and been teaching here in uh, in California. What exactly got you into education? Sure. So I was um, not convinced at all that I was going to be a teacher. I thought once I was done with high school and college, that was it. I was definitely not on the education route. And when I went down looking for an adventure more than anything to Mexico and to travel through Mexico, I figured I would take some Spanish classes because I got through two years in high school and one year in college. I didn't exactly love it. And uh, I take a few weeks of classes there before I traveled through Latin America. And they ended up offering me a job teaching English at the same school, which I resisted for a week or two, but then figured it would pay for my classes and ended up spending six months in Guadalajara, Mexico. And I found out that I actually enjoyed teaching English. That led into the next five years of teaching abroad. That's amazing. So uh, what is your favorite country that you've been to and why? That's a hard one. <laughs> but yeah. I love the mountains. I love the outdoors. So if I could go one place tomorrow, I would say Nepal, because that's where a lot of the biggest mountains, a lot of the treks um, that stand out in my mind are. And it's a gorgeous country. The Himalayas are incredible, not just the mountains, but also the culture. Um, with the prayer flags and the homestays and the families and just the uh, the strength of the people that live there. I mean, it must just be a, a total like culture shock going from from here to these different countries. Like, could you talk about how how that is for you, just seeing all these different different countries and interacting with all these different people? It's definitely a lot different than suburban Sacramento. <laughs> Whenever I come <laughs> home, it makes me appreciate things that we have here um things we take for granted and it also makes me miss the road as well because there's so much variety so much beauty so many different ways that people live their lives um but at the core we're all still the same so i'll just like three years ago for example i took um the year off of teaching and i went to exactly a hundred countries and the 100 harder countries for the most part to visit in the world because I'd already been to the 90 easier, more touristic countries. And so, um, yeah, coming back home, I felt like a complete stranger, even though it was home. Uh, I felt out of place. I felt like I didn't matter about trendy things or maybe social media or what people wore. Or I mean, I had tap water. I had food. I had 
guaranteed hot water in the shower for the first time like in, in months and and all the things that we kind of worry about a lot of times it seems very not important and uh, things seem so big the spaces the cars the freeways um, our consumption of things a lot of things uh, felt very different coming back from 14 months for example in that case on the road um, what, what other languages have you kind of picked up and learned uh, along the way Sure. Yes, I teach high school Spanish and um, Spanish and Portuguese are the two languages that I'm fluent in and feel really good and um, was living for about two and a half years speaking Spanish every day, about two and a half years speaking Portuguese every day. So that allows me to travel to 30 or so countries more or less in the world, being able to communicate with people all over Latin America, a couple in Europe, obviously, with Spain and Portugal and a few in Africa. Um and then I can understand a decent amount of Italian and survive with a little bit of French. And so Spanish and Portuguese are the main two, but a romance language I can understand a little bit of. That's awesome. <laughs> um, what was your biggest culture shock um, going to a different country? There's been a ton, but I'll put out one that definitely stood out. During that year, I had one chance to have a layover in the U.S. between switching regions when I went to 100 countries that year. So I went from a few days at my aunt and uncle's house, um, kind of in Pasadena, Southern California, over to Papua New Guinea, which is not currently, but in the past famous for headhunters or cannibals. And it's really a rugged country. And so going from uh, aunt and uncle's house at uh, Southern California to um, hill tribes and um northern Papua New Guinea, where it was not even just the capital, but more kind of out in the bush and uh, no language. I remember flying in, there was not really any terminal. You just get out of the plane and there were several hundred people just staring at me. And like usual, I didn't necessarily have a place booked and not too many plans, but just got off the plane and tagged along with a missionary. And he invited me to stay at their missionary center, which gave me a safe and uh more comfortable place to stay rather than roaming the streets looking for a local to let me stay with them. So that was one that definitely stands out. Southern California to Papua New Guinea. Um, it was quite a shock. Um, do you do you have any um, sc- other like scary stories that you can share where you were like <laughs> wor- worried about your own safety? <laughs> yeah, well, first off, I'd say that I think most people coming from the U.S., should realize that the world is so much safer of a place than we realize. And so in my class as well, I get the question of like, what are your scariest stories? But overall, for spending eight years of my life in almost every country in the world, I think Americans and most travelers are are very afraid to go anywhere. So I'll put that out there first, that the world's not as scary as you think it would be. Um, and let's see, there's been a couple of different ones. Uh, in Brazil, for example, I'll use this one. I was working hard to be able to get a work visa to be able to stay and to live in Brazil. And I was up in the Amazon region ready to go on a boat down pretty much the length of the Amazon River, which was uh, a dream I'd had for a while. And so I had the time off from teaching and flown up there, up into the corner of Colombia, Peru, and Brazil, and was getting on the boat. I bought my hammock, my colorful hammock, to uh, sway on the deck and sleep in my hammock for the next week or so going down the Amazon with all the local people and getting on the boat there, they had a little police checkpoint. I didn't think it, I didn't think about it at all. And I'd been working a long time on this visa 
as long as I had my paperwork, the guy in my city said I was okay. So they uh, got me at that checkpoint, said that my tourist visa was expired, which I knew. I gave them all my documentation. They didn't like the fact that all my things were in process, even though it was stamped off by my officer in my city in southern Brazil. So they hauled me off in a truck with um, other people who were dealing or trafficking drugs and things across the border from Brazil into Colombia and Peru and was thrown in the back of the truck with them and waited for maybe about eight or 10 hours at the police headquarters, just sweating my guts out. And uh, <laughs> the guy was not too happy at the end of the day. So I got um, 10 days I had to leave Brazil or got deported from Brazil. And that uh, that changed my plans around on, you know, <laughs> apartment, job, kind of life set up in Brazil. And I think most people would have freaked out completely. And I stayed fairly calm. I think that's something I've learned. And I figured if it was not meant to be to be there, then there had to be another right place for me. But being there, waiting my turn in line with some shady characters on the border of Colombia and Brazil was not uh, exactly the way I had my Amazon trip planned. So that was one that didn't quite go according to plan. <laughs> I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you weren't sure if you're going to be able to make it home? Would that be one that kind of got in there? Or did you already, did you always know that you were going to be able to make it back? Okay. Um, yeah, there's there's another one as well in Colombia. Um, I was held at gunpoint um, by some people who I thought were rebels that are famous for <laughs> kidnapping foreigners and taking them off into the into the jungle. And so for about 30 minutes, I thought my life was flashing before my eyes and didn't know who was holding me at gunpoint and turned out to be a Colombian military officer, which was basically the good guys instead of the bad guys. And yet I had it. I thought that might be the end of me on that one now. Uh, as they, yeah, there's different groups that roam different areas kind of outside of the city. And I didn't know which one was, uh, was holding me down in the mud there for about a half an hour. So yeah, there's been a few, a few close calls <laughs> along the way. I, you're talking about these things so casually. I'm just so surprised. I mean, it just seems like such uh, momentous mm-hmm. uh, occasions. I know so many people like never experienced these things and just having all of that life experiences is, is, is really cool. <laughs> Yeah, well, thanks. I think um, you have a lot of different experiences. At least for me, I'm a I'm a runner and endurance athlete too. You try to keep yourself as even keeled as you can because if you lose it mentally, you're gone. You know, like if I'm going in buses across the Hare Desert and it's 17 hours today and it's 130 degrees and there's eight of us across one bench with people sitting on gas cans in the middle. Like if mentally you say like this is horrible. And I'm going insane, like you are going to go insane. And so I try to keep myself like running a marathon or like, you know, hiking Mount Whitney or whatever it may be, like, you know, equal and uh, try to not let your emotions get too high or too low. So, you know, some people have really kind of dramatic ways of handling everything. I try to keep it as even as I can. And thankfully, I think that's helped in uh, a lot of challenging situations. I mean, you mentioned that you were a, an endurance athlete and a, a runner. What, what's been the longest uh, run or race that you've done? Sure. Yes, I've run 62 official marathons, and marathons are 26.2 miles. I'll be running the California National Marathon again in December and be pacing it or helping people reach their goal time this year. So I'm kind of working it, I guess, because I've run quite a few marathons. So I got asked to help out. And the farthest I've run in a day was about 50 miles. It's called Rim to Rim to Rim, which is running across the Grand Canyon and back in a day. And that's uh, that's an amazing day. That's going from the South Rim to the North Rim to the South Rim again with 
almost 10,000 feet of vertical gain. And that's about equal to the other longest one, which is in the Copper Canyon in Mexico, the Grand Canyon in Mexico. And that was about 45 or 50 miles in a day as well, with a lot of uh, Tarahumara or native indigenous people to Chihuahua's Copper Canyon in Mexico that run with like little kind of tire sandals made out of tires and um, traditional skirts. They don't even speak Spanish, many of them. They speak local languages. So those are, those are the two longest days I've run in the Grand Canyon, the Copper Canyon. Oh, Brian, could you talk about uh, the the mental struggle and the mental battle that goes on in your head during these races? Because I know once you reach like a certain point, I know just in my cross country season that, that I run with my high school, like even just running like five or six miles, like I, I, I'm battling stuff in my own head. So running 50 miles, like can you talk <laughs> about like what you're, what you're battling in your head and what that conversation is like? Yeah. Yeah. I just ran with our cross country team couple hours ago after school so good job I enjoy running with them after school and they're just getting into sections now so it's kind of a smaller group out there um as far as the mental side it's everything it's everything I mean obviously you have to train you have to do the physical side but it's I think at a certain point kind of just shutting off your brain that wants to tell you that it hurts or it's hard or why am I doing this so there's no reason I'm not getting paid I'm not sponsored and knowing that when you're done, you're going to enjoy it, but you can enjoy the journey. And so I don't listen to music. I don't really listen to podcasts I'm running. I try to be in the moment because honestly, I want to feel it. And I think the farther you go, the more you realize how strong you are, the more you realize how capable you are. Um, I have friends that run 100 mile races like one last weekend called Rio del Lago. And so, you know, I think that they do 100 miles. Wow, that's amazing. Like twice as far as I've ever gone. And the cross country students in my school look at me like, maybe I've done 10 miles and he does. 26 on the weekend and doesn't think about it that much but i think it's just building up to it and then you know knowing that you can just take one step at a time it's just just like life you don't need to know everything you don't need to look too too far ahead but just keep pushing forward keep pushing forward a lot of these ultra marathons or the grand canyon you're hiking some of the uphill it's just keeping yourself moving forward it's just like relentless forward progress as some people say and you're moving forward If, if you can't run you're hiking, and as soon as you feel, get like that second wind again, then you're running again all the flats and the downhills. And it's it's beautiful. I get inspired by seeing beautiful places. So I, that's why I like the Grand Canyon or Yosemite, or I'm in the mountains almost every weekend doing a run, and that's that inspires me a lot to be in the outdoors as well. How much of it for you is the actual training piece, and how much of it is in your head, like battling battling your, your mental piece of it? Like what, what do you feel like that ratio is for, for the distance running? Yeah, I think it's a combination between both. You can't go out and not train and expect to feel good. The harder you train, the better you'll feel. And I've run a few marathons kind of based just on the mental side, and it wasn't that easy. And then I've run a few marathons where you know, I pushed myself really hard and probably too hard, and on the mental side, I wasn't quite there. So I think you need that balance of both. But I, if you had to choose one, I think the mental side, I think people can go out and do absolutely amazing things when – they're driven, not just motivated. I think I saw a quote the other day, you can be motivated one day, not the next, you know, but people who are driven just constantly have that in them and it comes out in different forms. So it's not a, today I'm not feeling it. You know, like you're driven people, you know, are always kind of working on things and always improving. It kind of goes with that discipline idea too, of just being on it every day. Like, like you said, motivation comes and goes, but discipline and being driven like that's something that just you put you apply every single day i'm glad you touched on that it's there yeah you use it in your classwork you use it in 
the athletics, you use it in whatever, whatever area of life, you know, you're dedicating yourself to. Absolutely. So you've been to so many great places. You've mentioned a couple already, uh, as far as mountains and environment that you've seen, what is like the best hike that you've been on in the world? In the world. Ooh, there are a lot of good ones. All right. I'll throw out one that right at the top of the list. Um, since I said Nepal, if I had to go anywhere tomorrow. So Nepal is famous. I think we talked about this last couple of days in class. Would you hike Mount Everest or would you climb Mount Everest? And that one, no, for four reasons. Costs for permits, like, you know, death fatalities that are on the mountain, extreme cold, and two months of my life. Um, but you can hike around these mountains or to the base camps. And so there's one called Annapurna Base Camp Trek, which I did, um, and then the Annapurna Circuit. I did both of those. You can link them together. They're gorgeous, like, I would do it strictly for the mountains and I would do it strictly for the culture. You get to stay with local families. It's eight to $15 a night for a room dinner and breakfast. And you get to meet up with other trekkers from around the world. Every night you got someone from Brazil, Mexico, Canada, New Zealand, Switzerland, Italy, U S they're staying with you with a local family, having, um, you know, lentil soup or yak burgers or whatever the three things they're making that night are. And you get to work your way around the most spectacular mountains in the world. You don't need oxygen. You don't need porters. You don't need guides. You don't need everything that going up these mountains requires because you can go around them and keep yourself under 15, 16, 17,000 feet. So that trek, those two combined took me two and a half weeks. A lot of people will take three or four, even a month, but I could kind of skip some of the towns along the way because I go a little bit faster due to running just like you would. And uh, that was incredible, cheap cultural fills up like the prayer flags, the monasteries, um, the families you see along the way, the herdsmen, and then the views of the mountains are insane. So I would put the treks there, like the Annapurna circuit right at the top of what I've seen. Um, as, as I'm listening to you, um, all these crazy places that you're seeing, d- does your phone just fill up with photos every time you see new, new places? Like, what is that like for you? <laughs> yeah, I've got right next to me here. I'll pull one out. Probably about 10 of these five terabyte external hard drives. So if I had the house on fire, I'd grab all 10 of these in the box and videos take up a lot more room than photos. So in the last three or four years, especially since taking this year off of school, I've been trying to make more videos and put them up online and um, put them on YouTube and use them in class on a channel called The World Hiker because I love traveling. I love hiking and got a couple former students help me at least learn the basics of editing a video before I took this year off. So I got to thank my students because I didn't know anything before I left. And um, so these are all loaded up. I got them saved everywhere. I've got kind of favorites. I should be more organized, but I'm pretty organized. And everything's saved there. And yeah, I take a drone and a GoPro and my cell phone. Don't take a huge camera, but I don't know. It just I like to go light. So I take those three things with me pretty much every country I go to. That's amazing. Uh, th- th- five you said you said five five terabytes probably ten five ten hard drives because back everything up twice right so there's been one oh, spot washes, then you gotta back it up twice absolutely so um what's the best street food that you've had street food specifically <laughs> street food is incredible i've had street food around the world and everyone's first question is like is it safe or do you get sick you know everyone like wants to know if it's safe or if they should be afraid to do all these things and Yeah, I've had a few times where, you know, you have a rough night, but for eating street food around the world in 195 countries, about a thousand good experiences for everyone or more. Uh, I love Mexican street food. I think Mexico is, I've lived there three different times. 
and not just beach resorts, right? But like I've been to every state in Mexico. So I've been to every single part of the country, every single state in Mexico, all 32 of them. Mexican street food is bueno, bonito, barato. So it's really good. It's cheap. It's tasty. And I, I love eating street food in Mexico. I think that's one of the best countries in the world. Um, Thai food is really good. That's another one that stands out. Um, I, I'd say Mexico is right at the top of the list. I'm not that much of a fancy person. So like, you know, 20 euro a night dinners and things in Italy or France aren't quite my style. I like street food. I like street food that's cheap. So countries like Vietnam or Thailand or Mexico um, or Latin America has a lot of good street food. And China has interesting street food as well. So I kind of like the countries that have cheaper more plenteous options for eating in the street what uh what, what countries have you yet yet to visit the last two are north korea and taiwan and north korea although it sounds impossible is a dmz border tour that you just slightly cross the border that's the only thing americans can do um i was signed up for it right before covid happened so i would be done a long time ago if it wasn't for covid taiwan is easy visa free i got a friend that teaches english there i could stay with in taipei so that literally if i had any one week off of school with a normal world i'd, I'd go back and finish those last two and know exactly how to do it so i just am being patient and waiting but thankfully um i took the year off three years ago and if it was two years or last year obviously i would have had to come home way before i got to those hundred countries so i guess i picked a perfect year to go to get into a lot of countries yeah. So, uh, what's the most, who's the most, uh, interesting person that you've met along the way? Ooh, my, that's a good question. Most interesting person. I've met a few former presidents in Colombia, which was kind of neat when I was living there. Um, I would say for me, it's the other travelers that I've met. So I've met a nice group of friends who are trying to go to every country in the world. And really, that's what got me going in the beginning. Um, I met a friend named Michael that worked with the United Nations. Good friend now at the moment. I was like, this guy's insane. He's been to 170 countries. You know, I've been to 70. And he's like, I've been to every country in Africa. Like, How have you been to every country in Africa? There's 54. That sounds impossible. But when you meet people and all of a sudden, one, two, three, four, five, you know, 10, 20 friends that were trying to visit or almost had visited every country, those were the most interesting and most amazing people to me that had lived and traveled and done this. And all of a sudden I saw it being possible for me. If I saw it possible for them, I, I, wait a second, I can do this. Like, you know, I am an endurance runner athlete. And so I think I can do endurance traveling. I think those qualities I use in running or training or basketball, baseball, soccer, whatever it is would funnel into, you know, the patience needed and the dedication needed to get all the visas and paperwork and border crossings to, try to do it and it's it's really worked out well kind of plugging the same you know qualities in for sports into uh into travel i mean do you feel like just anybody can uh do do the traveling that that you do and live that life or does it take a specific type of uh diligence and uh attention to detail so anyone could thankfully i would say in the u.s if you are um kind of financially wise in the middle class, I'm a teacher, I make less than average. So less than the average person would make. Uh, guaranteed, probably most of my students at Rio Americano are gonna go on to make more money than I'm making. And so I've had no kind of real financial advantage, I would say, paying for every single thing as a teacher, never having one trip paid for, sponsored, parents, nothing, you know, all the way from the beginning. So um, 
financially, I think anyone could. Priorities, I think anyone could. Um, would people choose to? That's the, that's the big question because you can spend $2,000 a day. You can spend $500 a day. You can spend $200 a day. Or you could spend like $30 or $40 a day. And it really depends on your style and your comfort. And I'm able to live in a carry-on backpack, feel comfortable staying in people's spare bedrooms around the world that they put up on Airbnb or booking or that they invite me in and taking public transportation and walking to bus stations or terminals, not having guides, not going to fancy restaurants, and then doing all the paperwork and research on my own. Some people would hate that. And I've done that for 195 countries basically and never had my hand held like once, except for when you absolutely have to do it to get into a country and you have to be escorted or something in Yemen, for example, or, you know, certain countries where it's just really difficult. So could people? Yes. Everyone's style is different. I'm willing to rough it a lot more than a lot of people are. And um, I know that, you know, kind of being a man as well would make things a little easier for me in different parts of the world. Although I do have uh, female friends that have been to every country and have done it and have done it independently and often by themselves. So um, I would say anyone could, especially most people listening to this, but the style would really vary. And I've done it um, pretty budget along the way and I've enjoyed it. I think I've met more people doing that rather than the thousand dollar one week all-inclusive tour. I've been there and done it on my own and researched it on my own and met locals along the way and been lost and asked for help but enjoyed the process all the way along. Absolutely. Um, with, with all these experiences comes a lot of stories. Obviously, just me sitting here with you for 20 or 30 minutes, I've already soaked up so much. So how do you bring um, all of these ideas and everything you take away from travel back into the classroom? I know that you could probably teach a class just on all your experiences traveling. So the fact that you have to go in there and you're teaching a, a subject for your class, um, how do you bring those aspects back into the classroom? Good question. Yeah, something I try to include every day. I got the Spanish side I got to include on vocab and grammar and things. And then the culture, geography, travel, food side that I love doing. And I'm passionate more about that. Um, so we'll have days where we look at options, for example, that students can have after school that maybe aren't traditional. So last year I had um, like my girlfriend speak about being a nanny or teach for Mexico, which would be teach for America. Uh, I spoke about the Peace Corps and teaching English abroad and working on organic farms, just ideas to open up students' minds. And I had a few students graduate early, and they said that I was a big part of that. Not like you need to graduate early, but they want to do something different. And so they are doing senior year right now at junior college or in Hawaii and, and you know, already finished high school. And I try to share videos that I make. That's one of my motivations for making videos on the outdoors in other countries as I use them in warm-ups or activities in class. And then definitely try to speak whenever they have questions about, you know, your favorite this or most scary this or what's happened to you here or there. And it's nice to be able to connect as well with how diverse our classrooms are. Um, if I have students that are from any country in the world, literally, <laughs> I can know something or share something or ask them. I think they feel that connection that like, he's been to Dubai or Abu Dhabi. Like I used to go to school two years ago in UAE, you know, or, you know I just came over from Afghanistan. He's been to the walk on quarter in Northern Afghanistan. Like he's been to my country and has pictures and can show me 
um, where he's been, he's been, you know, like, so I think it's an immediate connection with students of all different backgrounds, which I appreciate um, on the day-to-day -day basis, uh, you know, with just the populations that are in our classrooms. It absolutely provides you with a, a vast amount of knowledge to connect with so many different students. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, as we're uh, coming to a, a close here, um, what is your biggest piece of advice that you could share with our listeners? Primarily, we're targeting the youth, but honestly, just any piece of advice that you can share. Okay. I'd say any chance you can get to spend time in another country or with people from other countries, uh, life teaches you a ton. And now I tell my students, you're going to learn so much more once you're out of my class. Like the world will be your teacher. And the world can come to you, which is really amazing where we live. I mean, if you walk around Sacramento, you're going to hear languages. You're going to meet people that have all kinds of different backgrounds and come from all over the world. And we're really all the same. I think all people are the same. I know quite a few of my traveling friends say the same thing. We might look different, dress different, have different last names. We all want to be loved, spend time with family, and improve our quality of life and share meals and share holidays with our loved ones and um, feel satisfied and fulfilled. And that's what I've seen all over the world. And um, also another thing I'll mention that people are good. People want to help you. Um, I've been helped by so many strangers and you know, saying that like a stranger is a friend that I've yet to meet. Like literally I've been lost in every country in the world. I've been helped by people and be you know, invited in for meals and to stay with them and just treated so kindly in countries that have great reputations, medium reputations and bad reputations in our country and have been treated with love and respect and, and helped all over the world. So don't be afraid to go places. You can visit the country for a week, a day, anything you can get or have it come to you if you meet people or have friends that are from other countries. And uh, yeah, that the world's a big place, but it's not as bad as you think. And people are kind all over. I really love that. Thank you so much for, for leaving that with us. Um, really appreciate your time and coming on to speak with me today. I just want to let all of our listeners know now that uh, you can find all of uh, Brian's information in the episode notes. We're going to have his YouTube that he mentioned on here and as well as his Instagram and whatever else uh, he has available so you guys can find him and connect with him and his story there. Um, Brian, once again, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Great questions and it was a pleasure course bye i hope you enjoyed today's episode with brian asher i know i enjoyed the time that i was able to talk with him about all of his experiences and journeys that he's been on as always i would like to thank zubin for his work to make this show possible please remember to follow us on instagram and twitter for instagram at san juan unified podcast and for twitter at sjusd podcast to find these links, they're going to be in the episode notes, so please check out our socials, interact with us there, tag us, um, you can DM us, ask us questions, if you think you want to come on the show, if you have something you want to share, please let us know, uh, we'd love to have you guys, um, thank you so much, and we'll see you here next time.